The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good afternoon. Bruni's here. She's upstairs, I think, so hopefully she'll come down shortly. Liz is just finishing up a two-week retreat, so she won't be with us today. So, the topic today is Right Livelihood, which is the third in the um, ethical uh, section of the path. So, our view of what we're doing with our lives and what life is all about and how to be happy leads to some intentions which then give rise to speech and action and somehow in all that we wind up making our way in society and we do something for most of our day most of us have have, have or have had one or more jobs work in the world parenting homemaking maybe retirement volunteering artistic endeavors whatever it is that you do um, it takes up a lot of our time so there are a lot of different ways of looking at this livelihood issue that we'll get into later um, in a way it's kind of it's a culmination of everything that we're doing with our speech and our action and our intentions and our behaviors so that we're how are we spending all this time that we spend on whatever we do the bulk of our time on and how can we make that part of the practice and bring the practice to that um, and hopefully also uh, I think we'll see in some of what I want to talk about that all the path factors come together to support this factor and then this factor is the you know the bulk of our time so it's our opportunity to really learn to cultivate the rest of the factors and then next month we'll start on the last triad which is the triad that explicitly has to do with mental cultivation the meditation part of it the effort effort to look at your mind states and mindfulness and uh, and concentration as the mind settles and inner qualities of joy and peace begin to arise so let's um let's close our eyes and we'll just do a little meditation so we'll just look at maybe this is something some little pieces of this might be something that you want to look at bringing into your day or into your activity whenever you have a moment at your work or at home just really finding a way to come into yourself be really clearly in touch with how you're feeling in your body and your mind just kind of zooming into an embodied presence which is so easy to lose track of in the busyness of worldly living so just begin by feeling the contact of your bottom with your chair your cushion just really take in that you're here simply here this is your life this is a moment of your one wild and precious life
Letting the attention go down and feel the contact of your feet with the ground. Really taking a moment to feel all the parts of your feet, your toes, the ball of your foot. the heel of your foot. And whatever you feel in the arch of your foot, just the aliveness of the foot. You might see if you can hold the center of both feet in your mind at the same time and kind of evenly balance the attention between the two feet. Just taking in the whole lower half of your body, your bottom on the chair, your legs, your feet. See if you can really feel your attention and energy settling down into your deep belly area. What's going on in the very center of your body, in between your spine and your abdominal area? Maybe you feel your breath coming down into that area, making a little stretching movement. Letting that whole lower part of your body being a base of stability. Letting your attention travel up your spine one vertebrae at a time. If you can't feel anything in particular, just imagine very slowly through your lumbar spine. Letting go of any tension that you might notice and just seeing if each vertebrae can float in alignment on the one below. coming up into the mid-back. And up between the shoulder blades. (coughs) 
into the upper back, just below the neck. And feeling your neck, see if your neck can be loose and just resting, floating in alignment on the rest of your spine. And letting your shoulders relax. And letting your attention flow down your arms. Rest with your hands. Taking in your whole body from the neck to the feet, grounded in the support of your seat, letting go of as much tension as you can and allowing the natural balance of the aligned spine to hold you up. Just letting your muscles and your flesh just fall away from the bones. Just relaxing outward in a very broad sense of attention. seated or standing on a wide, broad area that's very safe. Noticing any sensations in your head as it simply rests on top of the rest of the foundation. Letting go of any tension around the eyes. Tension around the jaw. just in the side of your attention, just noticing the sensations of breathing, kind of stretching out through the torso and relaxing back. We're not trying to do anything, we're just 
relaxing, taking a moment of deep relaxation, trusting that our bodies know how to breathe. And just noticing what it feels like in the center, maybe around the solar plexus or the belly. What sensations are there? Maybe including the back of the spine, just the whole center of the body. What's it like to really inhabit that lower center of our being? Feeling it from the inside. Intentions, we just intend to relax. We may not, but we intend to relax. And then we just notice what's there. Let it be okay. Maybe you have a sense of what's the difference between really being grounded in your lower body, in your deep belly, in your solar plexus, in your lower back. Really feeling that support there. It's quite different than being up in your head and having all the emotional energy running up to your head and losing touch with this deep part of the body. So finding this sense of support from within, grounded and stable, broad, open, relaxed. Resting on that supportive base, bringing your attention to the heart area. Just noticing if there's holding and contraction there. 
letting the breath energy gently stretch on the in-breath and relax back on the out-breath. Seeing if you can just bring to mind a simple sense of goodwill for yourself, a tenderness for what's difficult. Bring to mind if there's anything that you find easy to feel a sense of caring for and appreciation and well-wishing for, a child or a pet or some wise teacher, any, anything that you can feel some appreciation for that brings a little warmth to your heart area. Just allowing that perspective to be recognized and brought in. Just the sense of whole body awareness, really inhabiting the heart, the deep belly, deep areas of the belly, and the lively energy going up and down the spine, the support of your seat and your feet on the floor. It's just the clarity of knowing whatever it is you're feeling, knowing that that's happening right now. Maybe a kind of knowing from the somewhere in the back of the head that doesn't involve the energy of grasping at ideas and words with your eyes and your face. Just resting in the back area of your head as it connects to your spine. Just letting that whole back of the head and spine be the locus of the knowing of the experience of breathing and sitting here.
Letting the feeling of breath right up to the center of the body. Feeling that rise and fall, expansion, relaxing back. If thoughts arise, just acknowledging them as something that's coming up in this wider field of the whole body, breathing and all the fluid circulating openly throughout the whole body. Notice if there's a tendency to clench up or tense up if you can just intentionally let that go. Just reminding yourself, trusting in awareness, trusting in the presence in your body. Just really here.
Okay. Hi, Pony. So livelihood. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just curious if it uh, just occurred to me, I'm wondering how many of you are pretty much full-time employed outside of the home at the moment? Yeah? And how many of you are retired? Okay, and some of you are in some other state of homemaking and child rearing and job searching and whatever else one could be doing. <laughs> right, so uh, it's quite a variety. And all that is livelihood. Lively, as I said earlier, livelihood is how we're spending our lives. And um, so I'm going to talk first of all about the Buddha's teachings on right livelihood and, and then a little bit about how to bring, how to bring the path to whatever it is that we're doing with the majority of our time. And then uh, more or less from the point of view of the responsibilities that we've taken on in the world. So we have some, some responsibilities that we're, you know, we have, we have to have some deal with society where somehow we're making our way. So what is that? And how is it to hold those responsibilities in a way that helps further the path or that the path helps with the burden, if we feel a burden of those responsibilities, or that it enhances our enjoyment and appreciation of what it is that we're doing in the world. And then Bruni will talk a little bit more about uh, other aspects of the whole give and take with society. Um, so, when we think about right livelihood, it may raise the question of what to do, especially if you're maybe on the younger side and you're thinking about starting out in a career and trying to choose a career or if you feel like you'd like to make a change in your career there's a lot of energy that we can spend thinking about what am I going to do and what am I supposed to do um, and then there's a the question of how to do whatever we're doing so that it's as fulfilling as possible so I'm mostly going to talk about the how to do it part because um, it's certainly my experience that by paying attention to the how to do it part, the that's all right, the what to do part, kind of is pretty much is a little bit out of our control, and it tends to take care of itself the more we focus on the how I'm doing whatever I'm doing. I know I've certainly found that the things that have been most fulfilling to me have just kind of come my way in a way that I couldn't necessarily have planned out, but by staying open and learning more about myself I made myself open to those things so there are some basic teachings in the suttas on what not to make try to make your livelihood it's a little bit like action the Buddha or speech the Buddha isn't telling you what to say and what to do and he's not telling you how to make a living but there are some suggestions of course things that contradict right action so the, the particular list that's given is dealing in weapons, dealing in living beings, and that means slavery, prostitution, or raising stock for slaughter, dealing in butchery, 
in poisons and intoxicants. So those are particular examples that fly in the face of the precepts that, um, you know, you want to look at. And I know it's actually, it sounds simple, but it's not simple for a lot of us. A lot of the tech industry has its fingers in various applications that might be, you know, on the border here. And so you really, there's a lot of deep looking at what's, uh, what you're doing and how it's contributing. There's the ways that we invest our money. Some of us who have money to invest in retirement, what are we supporting in that way? And, you know, what, what, in what way, is, what is your livelihood putting into society that you can look at? And then there's also uh, another teaching on the standards for wealth should be gained by certain standards. One should acquire it only by legal means. One should acquire it peacefully without coercion or violence. One should acquire it honestly, not by trickery or deceit. And one should acquire it in ways which do not entail harm and suffering for others. So again, basically in line with the right intention. And then there are a few other dishonest means that are called out, like practicing deceit, treachery, soothsaying, trickery, and usury. There's quite a long list of what constitutes soothsaying. And I guess monks were often, you know, approached and asked to tell the future and do various tricks to uh, bring people good luck. And so there's a very interesting long list of things you may not do to kind of impress people with your special powers of of magic. This is not considered right livelihood by the monks and for us either. So this leaves a a lot of room for making our way in the world. Um, the teachings are quite realistic about the need for lay people to make a living. In one sutta, there's a list of four grounds for praise in making money. One, that it was made righteously. One, that it makes oneself happy and pleased. So enjoy it if you're going to do it. That you share the wealth with your family and friends and that you use it for meritorious deeds. And that you use it without being tied to it, infatuated with it, and blindly absorbed by it. So it's, it's something that you may have that you can then use as a tool wisely in the world. So as we talked about with right view way back in September, if you might remember, you could say there's kind of a mundane view of right livelihood, which is kind of the view that I think brought a lot of us to practice, which is how can I enjoy my work life more or whatever I'm doing with my life. So it's kind of using the practice in order maybe to be more productive at work or to be more less stressed or to find more success and so forth. So it's a little bit using the practice in order to um, help with worldly success. And then there gets to be over time maybe a little bit more of almost a transcendent view, which is the more we look at this, the more we realize the purpose, a purpose of life really is to understand suffering and to alleviate suffering wherever we see it. And the view of the Four Noble Truths comes to really be the main thing in our lives. And in a way, you begin to see your work in relation to how it supports that. So instead of maybe practicing in order to work, you're working really as a way to keep yourself alive or to help alleviate suffering and bringing the, the path and the qualities of the path to the forefront in how you're working becomes a really beautiful way to do anything that you happen to be doing.
So um, this talk is going to focus the rest of the talk more on how we're doing whatever we're doing rather than believing that we're, we should be able to find some perfect situation in life. And if we really get good at that, then we're becoming more clear on what our own habits of mind and our behavior are contributing to almost any situation. I've heard it said that how you do anything is how you do everything in a way because it gives it shows you your habits. And so anything is as good as anything else as long as it's not causing harm for a vehicle for looking at how you go about doing anything. And as we turn ourselves into being a better person to work with, then more opportunities may come our way. And we're getting to know ourselves and we're getting to trust deeper sources of intuition and creativity that may make any kind of work more fulfilling. And also we can grow in discernment about when a situation is really causing harm to ourselves or others. And we can feel less trapped because we feel really more worthy and confident that we can find something else to do and we really would be better off elsewhere and it's more aligned with our values to leave. So whether or not you look at walking the path as a central purpose of your life, it's very valuable to have this more kind of existential perspective that you can tap into any time. It's about the only thing that really helps us balance the tendency that we have to get hyper-focused on what's going on at work, little Christ, the crisis of the day or the deadline that's looming or something. If you can't call on this bigger perspective that this is just a short impermanent moment in your life, then it's very easy to just get totally sucked into stress. I'm sure you can look back and vaguely remember various incidents of deadlines and papers and projects and different patients or students or something that was very upsetting at the time and now you can hardly remember the details of it because it's so long gone. And so how to keep some perspective that lets you see the crisis of the moment in that light and uh, keep tuning into your deeper values. One of my former managers used to say, don't let the urgent drive out the vital. And I think that's what we're talking about often at work. So that we aren't totally tossed around. I think I talked about this in the beginning, this teaching on the worldly winds of pain and pleasure, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and ill repute. These things are big players in most workplaces, the praise and blame especially, and you know, having a good reputation or not, and gain and loss, success and failure, all these things can really push us around if we don't have a perspective that transcends them. So I started out to make a list of just what are some issues that people may encounter in carrying out their responsibilities. And this is, again, not just work, I'm saying work, but child rearing, anything, you know, just taking care of yourself as a, you know, getting through the day is difficult for lots of people. So how can we... What can we bring to it? And it just did more or less fall into the different factors of the path. So they're, they're, it's a great list. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about them not in any particular order, but more in the order that they came to me as imp- of importance. So first of all, is really has to be mindfulness. So that's what a lot of us have come here for. This is the Insight Meditation Center. And we're learning to be there for ourselves, to be aware of what's happening. I know when I'm really involved in working on something and at, in a social situation, 
I can go through the whole day without one single kind of recollection that, wow, I'm here, this is my life, this is existence, what's happening right now? Just living that, opening that little space to ask yourself, how is it right now? What's happening? What have I gotten so lost in that I'm not feeling anything in my body? I haven't felt a breath for hours and hours. And, you know, what, you just, as often as you can, somehow learning how to zoom in in that way. It's really what makes everything else possible. If you don't have that little space in the mind where you're remembering that you have some skills or some intention to work on some skills for dealing with what's difficult, then you're just swept away over and over again by what's difficult. So it's really worth it to see if you can find some time in your day just to cultivate not a whole meditation session, but just a little mini grounding, grounding yourself. So finding some way to take a moment um, to take a mindful breath, to touch into the contact points where your body is touching your seat or your feet on the ground you know people do lots of things like putting little signs on the phone setting little timers on the computer something like that to just remind yourself to check in once in a while come into where you are Um, it's so different being a little embodied especially a lot of us imagine work with computers and screens and or in even if it's not your work you spend probably a lot of time on the phone looking at screens so it's Interesting, the sensation of being completely absorbed into the screen world and completely losing touch with your body. So as often as possible, see if you can be aware of the space between you and the screen. You know, it's so that your head is not completely absorbed into the world of what's on the Internet. But it's a device that's in front of you and it's presenting a picture of moving colors of various sorts and you're here and it's there and there's a space in between if you can bring that perspective to mind several times as often as you can it's very helpful and also mindfulness of mind and emotions being aware and fully able to acknowledge when something difficult is happening or when you're feeling hurt or stressed or angry to be able to quickly notice and acknowledge to yourself that that's what's happening even if you don't have the time right then you may have to set it aside and get on the best you can with your day but then if it's something really important see if you can take the time later when you get home to sit with it for a few minutes and let it really bring back the feeling consciously and work through what was that about and what was so painful there and what was hurt and see if you can not just let these things accumulate being kind of stuffed down and not felt but opening up to it So sometimes at work we we lose touch with our intention of why we're doing this in the first place and it just becomes a routine or it becomes boring in some way. So touching back into what what could this job be contributing to the world or to your own enjoyment or to your own development of skills, whether it's particular skills related to the work or the skill of learning how to be happy. What brought you here? And then the intention to keep elevating this question of how am I using my mind and my body and my attention moment to moment in this situation. Then another really important part of attention, most of us are often working with people or there are other people involved in what we're doing. So remembering 
the difference between seeing people entirely as functional units in your environment, (laughs) objects that you need something from, people who are maybe in your way or not in your way or helping or not helping, and really as often as you can tuning into the fact that this it could be any of us. We could be working together in a job in the future. And that person has a life. That person has their own aspirations for happiness and their own causes of suffering. So seeing the people that you work with in, in a multidimensional view as often as you can. Imagining them outside of work. I don't know... Do any of you know John Martin? He's a teacher here. I, I was so I used to drive by the San Francisco airport a few years ago when it was under massive reconstruction and I thought at the time, wow, you know, I wouldn't want to be in charge of that, keeping all these planes landing while the whole airport's in Well it turns out that the director of the airport is actually a meditator and is now a meditation teacher and he <laughs> teaches here a lot. And he's given some great talks on really inspiring work that he did in keeping his values straight and how he really brought a sense of loving kindness and compassion and explicit training in this to the people that he worked with at the airport. And so he, he, it sounds like it would have been a joy to work for him. And he really managed to keep you know this whole project happening and people working together. He has lots of great stories if you have a chance to look at one of his talks. He's a most impressive example of really bringing the practice to a situation where you might think that it wouldn't take root, but it really did in his case. So, of course, a a large part of most work is the whole world of speech, which we spent a whole month on, email, wise speech. It's useful to consider before speaking, you know, what would you like to be a good outcome here? And really being clear in your own mind. So often it's confusion. This brings mindfulness back into it because it's confusion in our own mind about what we want and lack of clarity that often leads to situations where we're not, where we speak rashly or out of reactivity. So just being, taking the time to be really clear about what would you like to have as a good outcome. Sharon Salzberg has a whole book on mindfulness at work. I think it's called Real Love at Work or something like that. And she has some exercises sprinkled throughout the book. And one of them I'll just read you. It's called Looking at Motivation. Being more in touch with our motivations or intentions will reveal a lot about the ethical dimension of our actions. Before a conversation, pause for a few moments to determine what you would most like to come out of it. Do you want most to be seen as right or as helpful? Do you want to foster progress or hinder it? Also pause before sending an email with the same reflection. What do I most want to see coming from this communication? Do I want the other party to feel diminished or encouraged? Do I want them to go away or do I want to increase their involvement in the project? And then you can do the same thing before any choice or decision. What do I most want to see as the outcome? Peace or excitement, ease or stimulation? So it's a lot of ways to just bring more intentionality to what you're doing throughout the day. And then there's this whole world of multitasking and hurry and busyness and on the other hand boredom and procrastination that's a feature of almost anything that we do. Even the things that we're most passionate about have their, um, you know, drudgery aspects, the paperwork that we have to get through. So the whole world of multitasking, obviously, there's a way in which that's a myth. You can kind of only do one thing at a time. 
So the more you learn to recognize, you know, there, there's this kind of fake value put on multitasking. So you might feel very important if you're thinking of six things at once or trying to think of six things at once. But see if you can notice if you're buying into believing that that's some kind of skill. The real skill is to unitask. <laughs> and so if you can learn to do one thing at a time, even though you're interleaving as as much as you have to, you can really see if you can become conscious of when now I'm shifting from this to answer the phone and now I'm shifting back to this and now I'm shifting to that so that you're conscious of where your attention is so that even for a few moments at a time you can unitask. It's different than having your attention split so that even while you're doing one thing you're thinking of the other six things that's what causes craziness is the mind being so split between all these different things so um, it's good to value the ability to unitask and then boredom every job has work has some aspect of boredom to it boredom is such an interesting thing I'm so fascinated by boredom through my meditation career I've set long retreats which can be very boring at times and so it's it's especially interesting to notice when you're just sitting there saying I'm so bored I'm so bored I'm so bored that is boring so you know usually you're fixated on some perception that this is boring and that's your fixation but actually you're just at the wrong level so you're attending to some expectation that something more exciting should be happening but it's a good time if it's boring you can drop down to mindfulness of each finger on the keyboard you know and the movements involved in the fingers on the keyboard you can become very concentrated and very present in a way sometimes when there isn't a whole lot of anything interesting going on it's like a retreat it's a time to feel your breath feel your feet do some body scans while you're doing what you're doing and so you can always look in a little more detail what is going on in your mind what is going on in your body and how can you find an appropriate interest, appropriate place to cultivate something that's worthwhile cultivating in this moment? The whole culture of hurry and busyness. I, I used to like to look busy. I, there was something about if I look busy, they won't really make me do any more, kind of. And so it was, it was good to look busy. <laughs> and I would spend a lot of time just, you know, looking very busy. But um, And I was busy. Of course, we also are very busy. And But, you know, it's another one of those kind of phony values that's crept into our culture. So see if you can notice what's your relationship to busyness. Is it self-importance? Is it, is it really a value? What if you allowed there to be some moments when you're really concentrating on relaxing and clearing your mind and, and not looking busy? You know, and, and then there's a kind of overlay of doing things like even if you go to the bathroom you might take your phone with you and make that a moment to check up on what's going on in the world and so there's a, often a lot that we can eliminate if we're really sincerely dedicated to simplifying our day and finding moments throughout the day when we can really um, get the cycle of exertion and rest and exertion and rest that's much more natural to the human than going full blast all day Um, yeah there's an exercise that uh, Inez Friedman wrote for this online course we have here that I want to share with you it's just a little reflection one scenario 
I have a deadline tomorrow, and before the deadline I have to complete 22 items. I have several hours to do this. This is an important project that many people depend on. Understanding this, I feel determined to do my best in the short period I have. Determination is a feeling of steadiness and strength. It motivates me. I can focus on my tasks. I may or may not finish on time. So that's one state of mind. Here's another state of mind. Same scenario. I have a deadline tomorrow with 22 items. In this instance, though, I turn my attention to the imagined future, to how short a period of time I have left. Directing my attention to the future triggers fear that I may not be able to finish on time. The fear agitates me, and I turn my attention to my tasks, but I feel unsettled and tense. I can't stay focused. My mind rushes back to the idea of the deadline that I might not meet. I imagine the consequences, and that further agitates me. Some of my energy is drained by the stress as I force myself back to the task at hand, trying to suppress the anxiety. I may or may not finish on time. So, you know, this is just a nice example of the way that we can use our minds and why is it so valuable to train in mindfulness of the mind, mindfulness of where we're placing our attention, so that you can really begin to notice how much time you're spending when your mind drifts off into imagining your own image of yourself failing over and over again versus simply being able to finish work on the task. In either scenario, you may or may not finish because those kind of things are out of your control no matter how well you work on it. So then the whole other area is the area of right action or what we might call integrity at work. So some jobs can have some pressure to act in a way that is ethically questionable and this can be very, very challenging for a lot of people. Um, it's good to ask yourself, what's the hook? You know, if you feel pressure and tension, it's because you both want something and you don't. There's some kind of conflict. So what is the hook that is making you seriously consider doing something that's unethical? Is it, you know, you fear of losing your job, fear of peer pressure, fear of not getting an assignment that you want? So understanding what's the hook behind some some tendency to act unethically. Just another exercise I'll share from Sharon. She has this, the visceral feeling of yes or no. There are many reasons we say yes. Obligation, enthusiasm, peer pressure, and many reasons we say no. Courage, timidity, confusion. Before you are about to respond to someone with a yes or no, spend a few moments looking within yourself to see if you can tell where your yes or no is coming from. Be aware of your body, especially places where you find you hold tension, maybe your neck, shoulders, or stomach. Check your mood to see what feelings are guiding your response. Check your mind to see what story is predominant. You might have a story like, I could never do that, or they only ask me this because everyone else must have, or I'll lose my job if I don't do it, or I'm going to put my heart into it and do the best I can. And then see if you can offer a conscious response instead of one that you'll have to go back and second guess on later. So finally, there's uh, a lot of room for developing wisdom through all this. And wisdom is the factor of right view. There's an awful lot of identification with the role that you play at work. So keeping a balance in your life so that I am not my job, I'm not only a mother, I'm not only uh, whatever your volunteer job is, I'm not only the kitchen manager at the retreat center, you're not, 
you're not, it's not your total self-image. It gives you a lot more flexibility with what you're going to be forced to buy into, feel yourself forced to buy into. So looking for other views that you're carrying that are adding stress. The whole area of competition and comparison with other people. Perfectionism, control, failure to see the impermanence. A real belief that we have to get everything perfect and done in a certain way and that that's even possible. So just continuing to elevate the Four Noble Truths in your experience of am I suffering and how can I not suffer in this situation and do the best work that I can do. And finally, I was realizing, well, I don't have anything about concentration, but then that's really about joy, you know, joy and ease and enjoying your job and maybe the liveliness and livelihood. Where is that? Where is there's something that can come when you're really in the flow and you're doing it in a way that is fully engaging all of your faculties. And I think engagement is the word there where you are into what you're doing and there's a kind of, uh, you're not, you're not having a sense of postponing living in order to do your job, but you're, you're fully engaged in your job as living in this moment. So that's a way in which uh, some of the factors that go into concentration in this, often in this more worldly sense of the flow of engagement with what you're doing that brings a lot of joy and ease. And I hopefully you can also be in touch with the meaning of your job, even if it's something just very simple and mundane that you're, you know, we all use all the services of the world all the time and we appreciate that they're well done. So whatever your job is that's just simply contributing something to the world working along, it it can be meaningful in that way. So these are a few reflections on using the path to support yourself in whatever it is that you do with most of your time. And Bruni will have more to say about other aspects of this, I think. (laughs) later so let's get into some groups here we have um, a question for you to consider how about groups of four Anybody's a couple extras? Okay, we'll let's have a couple groups of. Let's have a, a couple. We could have. Might be better to have two groups of three. Somebody, somebody willing to join these two people? We'll have two groups of three. I think that would be better than two groups of five. A little more time. Okay, so there are two questions. The first question I'm just going to give us a minute to consider. It's more like picking the topics that you want to explore. And then the second question, I'll read both right now. What responsibilities and commitments in your life do you find challenging? 
And then the question that we'll explore out loud really is how do you practice with these responsibilities and commitments? Okay, so we'll take a minute to just consider what responsibilities and commitments in your life do you find challenging and that you might want to share about how you practice with them. we can go around sort of free form we'll just just tell about something leaving room for the other people to share and then we'll go around again go around a few times hopefully and as usual try to avoid uh, cross talk advice giving all that just it's practice in listening to what other people have a chance to articulate what they would like to say okay Okay, so let's come back. I think all the mics and things are actually working today, so we'll pass them around. So I'd love to hear something about how some of you are working with your challenges in these areas. For me, as I was telling my partners, that uh, just learning to um, not react to emotion and to view your emotion as over here, and you acknowledge that that's there, and then you go on with what's really happening in front of you in the situation. Yeah. I learned that my challenges are nothing compared with other people's. (laughs) One time I had been in a car accident. I was walking across the street and sat by a truck and I was in pretty bad shape. So then I uh, went back to work after a few months but it was kind of like rocky. So I talked to someone, a therapist who specialized in people doing this. And so she said, well, what, what's giving you trouble? You know, so I talked. Sometimes I didn't know how to respond to people right away. And she said, it's okay if you're standing in front of someone and you're talking. You can take a step back and take a moment and then respond. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. They're going to think I'm crazy. What is she doing? She's so weird. She doesn't talk. But I tried it out, and it was fine. <laughs> I was very, very surprised. It seemed to be perfect.
perfectly okay. Yeah. I feel like this is cheating, but um, I always go to Audio Dharma and I put in a search word of what the challenges that I'm facing and I listened to a Dharma talk and then kind of like along with the lines that you were saying in was um, like somebody one of the teachers will tell you something that oh try this or do that or this is okay and just the perspective of even hearing this is challenging for me too as a teacher or just some of that that's what I always do I didn't share that with my group but that's when I'm really challenged hello audio Dharma What you said just now about perspective was kind of the key word that kicked me off. And I was thinking about the story about that, that you just read uh, right before the break of the, the group about the two ways of, of looking at the same situation. That I mean, what struck me there was it's all how you hold it. And when we were going around our group, what I thought was about the universality of so many of the issues and problems that we were talking about were shared among our particular group and probably the world at large, you know, you're not alone. And that brought me kind of back to the perspective of it's all how you hold it. Thank you. Okay, we'll have a break. We'll come back in 10 minutes or so.